Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. And this is Jim. How can I help you? Well, good morning, Jim. Always good to speak with you. Uh, I'm making three different uh, 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 offices in a large shop area. And they have to be soundproof between these offices. Uh, uh, would I be better off? It's a 30 by 60, and so they're going to be 20 by 30 offices. Uh, would I be better off to use uh, steel studs rather than wooden studs? And what uh, sound material would be best as far as insulation? Well, when you say you got to be soundproof, do you need it where you're really not hearing any sound from next no, door? No, no, but... I, I want to minimize the sound. Okay. Maybe I should phrase it that way. Yeah, and, and the reason I say that, because typically if you're trying to really soundproof something, you use two studs, and they offset from each other, so none of the boards touch, and that keeps the sound from transferring through. Um, in order to minimize sound, actually, in my opinion, the wood does better than the metal does, because the metal studs are, are very thin, and you know, sound is a wave, and it gets on those metal studs, and it just, they're they are light enough that you can vibrate them with the sound wave. Right, right. Where okay, the, what about insulation in there? The best, but it's also the most expensive, would be the spray foam. That do, That does an amazing job of killing sound. Now, if I was going to do it and wanted to sound deaden it, I would probably use the cellulose insulation because it's a lot less expensive, does almost as good as the foam does. Uh, and, and like I said, it's just way less expensive. Now, a lot of uh, you know, people will hear me all the time say for insulating your attic and stuff, use fiberglass. Fiberglass is going to be your least effective as far as sound protection, uh, but it doesn't degrade. But for what you're doing, I personally would use the cellulose insulation and wood studs. Someone suggested I do double drywall. Does that help any? It does. Uh, but are, these are separate rental units already, aren't they? Yes, they will be. And so you're going to end up with 5-8 rock anyways. Because right. you gotta have you got to have fire blocks. So uh, right. you're already going to have the extra sheetrock on there. Oh, okay. I understand that now. Yeah, to make code. Yep. All right. So, uh, wood, and if I wanted to, I could uh, um, do a staggered uh, spacing on, on the studs. Yeah, and if you're going to stagger the studs, then go with the aluminum, because they're not going to be touching anyways, and, it, and it'll be just fine. Uh, and because this is commercial, the advantage of the aluminum is you don't have to fire treat the wood. If you go oh, with wood okay. studs, they're going to make you put a, a fire treatment on, which is not a big deal. It's You get a five-gallon can of this stuff and you know spray it on the the wood, but you can avoid all that if you use metal studs. Uh, and okay. you know, offsetting them really does an amazing job of sound deadening. In fact, Sound well, that, Studios, that's how they do it. Okay. That sounds uh, good to me, and... Easy to accomplish, just to change my plans a little bit and go ahead. It's just money. 
it's just money. And uh, <laughs> if I if I've got happy tenants, that's all I'm concerned you know, with. And let, let's be real here. You you. I, you go into a lot of these commercial buildings and you can listen to the conversations of the unit next door when, when a landlord doesn't care. And it really is aggravating. That's right. Well, that's what I want to prevent. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and I, it'll, it'll be a good selling feature um, for the tenants. Yep. Absolutely. I've got two of them already committed, but one of them had said, I don't want to be hearing noises from next door. Mm-hmm. And the other one said, yeah, I'd prefer not to either. So uh, I, I'm going to head in that direction. Bad, Jim, I'll that's, take care of you. That's good advice, and thank you so very much. You're welcome. You have a great weekend. I have a log home in East Texas woods, and I have a log, one of my outer walls, that is badly rotted. I believe it would have to be replaced. Do you know if this is possible to fix myself, or is there someone you can recommend that works on log homes. Thank you. Well, Jeremy, I don't have anybody I know of that works on log homes. You would literally have to call one of the log home builders, but normally they're not replacing the whole board. Usually it's not rotted all the way through. What they do is is cut out the rotted part and then uh, cut a piece of a log off to fit in the opening that was created or the void that was created when they cleaned out all the rot. Um, and the reason the ready seal reminds me of this, ready seal can be used on log homes to keep them from taking on moisture and rotting and stuff that way. Um, and because of the way it can be applied with just a pump-up sprayer or even a power sprayer, uh, it makes it very easy to apply the material to protect a log home. But to answer your question, is it something you can do yourself? Absolutely it is, uh, as long as you've got some woodworking skills. Because, like I said, normally what they're going to do is come in and gouge out all the rotten area. Then you'll take a new log or piece of wood, depending on what the outside part of your log is. Because some logs have a finish on them. Some of them have a uh, bark still on them. Most of the time, it's going to be a finished rounded piece of wood. So you take a new one, measure out how thick a piece you need to cut, cut that off the new board and start fitting it into place. And it's really just a matter of adjusting it, you know, trimming here and there until you get it to fit into place the way you need it, attach it and reseal it. So yeah, most of the time you're not replacing the whole log because their tongue and groove going up and down the walls and so if you had to replace the whole thing you literally are looking at having to jack the wall up which creates just a whole wealth of other issues you don't want to have to deal with or you end up cutting off the tongue and groove part just sliding the board in and then caulking and sealing it another way but uh, nonetheless like I said 90% of the time it's not a matter of replacing the entire log. And if you do need to do that, uh, like I said, call some of the log home manufacturers and the people who install them are the same people who would come out and work on something like that. David, how can I help you? Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is, is that we purchased a home that has ceramic tile throughout the house and we are wanting to put over top of that the new waterproof uh vinyl plank flooring yeah. 
Okay. And so my my I get I'm getting mixed messages when I'm talking to different contractors and stuff, and some are telling me that I can lay it directly over top of the ceramic tile, and then others are telling me that I need to float the floor before I lay that vinyl plank down. The guy telling you you got to float it are the the right ones. Okay, so we need to float the floor before we lay lay the planking down. Yeah, all of those floors require a smooth surface, and the uh, tile is not smooth. Uh, now, when you're using the vinyl planking, are you talking about the ones that are, are flexible, or does it have uh, a hard surface under it? No, they're they're flexible. Yeah, absolutely. If you lay that onto a, a tile floor, every uh, uh, grout line, every ridge that's in the tile, because a lot of tile is not perfectly smooth, you know, it has little waves uh -huh. in it. All uh -huh. of that will show through that plank. It'll all show through the eventually. I'll show through the plank. Okay. Oh, well, probably That's what within I need the to first, know within the first two or three days. So, oh wow. Okay. All right. Well, thank thank you so much. You bet. Take care, David. Uh, uh, bye. Yeah, I I don't know why flooring guys do that. There there's several things that flooring guys you need to kind of pull your heads out and and take care of. One, if you're going to put a, a wood floor in. Do a moisture test of the concrete first. Don't come back to the customer and say, oh, your moisture's too high a year later. Test it before you put the darn floor in. We all know concrete is porous. Moisture is going through, and this is becoming a huge, huge issue with wood floors. I love wood floors, but a glue-down wood floor in Texas is problematic. So at least do the moisture test before doing a glue-down wood floor. A lot of times you can get away with a floating wood floor where you can't get away with the glue-down. So let's take time to do things right. Uh, and, uh, you know, going over a tile floor, typically, I, my recommendation is normally take the tile up. And the reason for that, if that tile is around 18 years old, the mastics they used back then, are starting to give way. So you put this nice, you know, you float the floor out, you put this nice new uh, vinyl floor over it, and the mastic starts giving way on those old tile floors and they start popping loose, guess what? Your new floor is garbage. It's better to get down to the concrete and come up with new than to go over. It's kind of like a roof overlay. Yes, you can get away with putting a second row of... Uh, a second layer of shingles, but you have a better job and a longer lasting job if you take the shingles off and go back down to the plywood. Tom, you doing all right today? Yeah. Yes, sir, I am. Just coming back from doing some fishing. Ah, um, did you catch anything? Uh, yeah, some some bass. Okay. Nothing great. You know, not exactly the best time of year for it. But, um, hey, my question is... Uh, my um, sister-in-law, their house had uh, they they had a vent checked or whatever. It's about a twenty-year-old house, uh -huh. and they told them they had to replace their vents or you know the uh, the ducting in in their house because it was it was mold. There was mold in it. Um, the, my real question though is, and and I had never I've heard that you've cleaned them before, but I haven't ever heard of replacing them. But my question really is. 
I have a house that we had built about a year ago. It's about 3,000 square feet. And my wife has been having all these allergies and stuff. And I'm, and I'm just wondering, is it possible that, you know, there's some mold or something that could have gotten into those vents and that's given her a problem? And, and, is, and is that something that can be checked? It can be checked. Uh, I will tell you up front, it's probably very unlikely that it's mold in there. Um, okay. Typically, if you've got mold in your vents, you're getting an odor in the house as well. Oh, uh, yeah, we and, don't have and, that. Yeah, and it's it's usually not a big issue, uh, mold in, in the ductwork. Now, and again, I'm not saying you can't get it. You can, but right. it's, it's pretty unlikely that that's the cause of it. I know a lot of people are having major allergies right now with the uh, cedar this year lasting way uh, longer than it than it normally does simply because it's been a warmer year than normal. Okay. So so what about that that 20-year home? Is that something that might be possible that they should do? Uh it'll depend on the ductwork that's in there. You know, uh 20 okay. years uh usually the ductwork is still good. Uh, if you yeah. go back beyond that, if you get into the 80s, we had what was called a gray flex duct. And it was a gray plastic on the outside. The plastic up in the attics, was it's deteriorated and started opening up. Then the insulation came off, and you were basically left with this aluminum tube for your ductwork with oh. no heat protection, no nothing. Those do have to be replaced. Okay. 20 years ago, though, no, we were no. already using the ductwork that has the uh, radiant barrier on the outside of it, the silver mylar, and right, those right. those normally aren't an issue. Okay. Now, now my my uh, in law or my sister in law told me that they they have been given some quotes ranging from four hundred dollars to two thousand dollars to replace them all. Is that you know I, I don't even I mean their home is comparably. 2,600, 2,800 yeah. square feet, something like that. Okay, I own I mean, an yeah. AC company in the Houston area, and I can tell yeah, you up front. Yeah, that's spring. Oh, okay. Well, there's absolutely no way you're going to replace the ductwork for $400. All, all they're doing okay. is some repairs. Because that doesn't even buy the material to replace the ductwork. Have they got more than uh, one company to look at it? Yeah, yeah, it, that that's something just isn't right on 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 those quotes. Maria, how are you today? Um, so I am a first time home buyer, and I'm kind of caught for a loop right now. I'm having some plumbing issues. Um, my system's draining, and I had ARS come and clear the clog. But what they found whenever they were looking down the cleanout for my property is they found like concrete chunks, kind of blocking, I guess, that connection point between my house and the main sewer line. And uh, my my partner, he went to go look to find, like, claws or, you know, little grabbers to, like, grab down there and get out the concrete chunks. Uh-huh. Um, but we we went, he checked, like, five or six different stores, and no one sells anything that would really work. Because, you know, they're bigger chunks than just, like, a ring. So it needs to be a little bit of a bigger device. Sure. Uh, and everyone that he spoke to at these plumbing stores just kind of advised us, since it's an old cast iron to concrete line, to just bite the bullet and plan to just replace the line and not to worry too much about the concrete um, blocking, like, the opportunity to telescope to, like, really see what's wrong with the line, if anything. Um, and I just wanted to get your two cents on the issue to see if I'm, like, really wasting my time, like, chasing down these concrete blocks or what. If the line is an old cast iron line, 
uh, and there's concrete lines. What a lot of times they did was where the concrete and cast iron tied together, they used concrete to uh, uh, basically pat, put a patch to bind them together. And so, yeah, you're more than likely going to be wasting your time chasing the, the concrete. Sooner or later, you're going to end up replacing that cast iron. Okay. And, just, and just replacing all the lines. Uh, in the meantime, you may have to periodically snake the line out to to keep it flowing and stuff. But every one of those joints is a place where tree roots can grow into the lines. Uh, and the old cast iron rots and deteriorates. So uh, a lot of times there's sections that aren't even there. And just not, not to scare you or anything, but we replaced the lines at my parents' house one time years ago. They had cast iron. They had a 20-foot section for the washing machine that wasn't even there. It had totally rotted out, and the soil had soap scum built up on the black gumbo clay soils, and that's what the water literally ran through. Wow, yeah. How old was their house? Yeah, that house was built in the 50s. Okay, yeah, mine's a 63, so I think I'm going to be running into that. Yep. what's happening underground okay so i'll relay that to my dad he's basically the decision maker right now <laughs> yeah and, um yeah but i think that helps us a lot thank you so much you're welcome and, and maria one thing i will do people I, I own a plumbing company we do and we do this all the time replace those lines and stuff and, and people are always concerned that oh i got to get this done immediately because i'm dumping sewage under my home and yeah i mean let's face it that's not something you want to necessarily do but don't think you have to do this tomorrow you've okay. you've got time as long as the lines can be snaked out and and you know made to work still you've got time it will hit a point somewhere down the road where snaking will no longer work then you're forced to go ahead and get it. So start planning now, and that way, whenever the time comes, it won't be a total shock that you got to get it done. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good one. You too. We're going to head over to Jersey Village. Hello, Jack. Yes. Uh, we've got some tree roots in a sewer line on the uh, commode that is in the hallway commode. The commode itself is probably two or three feet from the edge of the foundation on okay. one side. Uh, what's the best way to go about dealing with that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's blocked, blocked off the sewer line there. Yeah. Normally what you'll end up doing is digging up underneath the foundation and replacing that section there. Is it uh, cast iron or PVC? I don't know. How, how old is structure? I, uh, it was probably built, uh, late seventies, I think. Okay. It could be either in the late 70s, but nonetheless, there's going to be a break there that's going to have to be dealt with. And so, yeah. like I said, normally we would just dig up underneath there, replace, if it's PVC, we would just replace that section and and be done with it. If it's cast iron, we would want to check, you know, even on PVC, uh, check the rest of the system to make sure there's not other breaks as well. Uh-huh. Uh, is that pretty expensive to do? Well, to find expensive. Well, uh, $5,000. <laughs> uh, not for what you just described. No, it wouldn't, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be anything even close to that. Now, if you're having to replace uh, an entire house, yeah, you're getting up in 
those numbers and quite frankly can be more than that even but for just a, a small line like uh you said about three feet in um yeah you're, you're probably talking and this is me without me even looking at it but you're probably talking something in the 2000 give or take think that'd be reasonable yeah now what can be done about the roots coming back i mean is there any anything what? you can do well, if it's PVC, the roots shouldn't be growing in it to begin with. Uh, uh, but root shields can be installed to protect the, the foundation, which also help protect the plumbing. Uh, so, yeah, there are things that can be done. We're going to go down to League City. Hello, Doyle. Hello, and thanks for taking my call. Um, attic staircase, we've got uh, about a 10-year-old house with just a standard cheapo attic staircase and um it looks like our hot water heater starting to go south because i'm getting black specks in it and some of the neighbors with the same floor plan are telling me that the staircase is a hair too narrow to remove the old hot water heater um one had mentioned that some manufacturers are actually making making staircases that are slightly wider but use the same uh opening in the ceiling is this true well, what's happened is water heaters actually uh, got regulated where they had to add more insulation, and so they made the water heaters a little bit bigger. So in some older, you know, and if the, if it's the right age home, that is a problem where, yeah, you can't get the new ones up. You can get the old ones down, but not the new ones up. Uh, but as far as... But as far as... a 10-year-old house, but... Yeah, and it's... That's in that right age group. Yeah, that's the right age group. Uh, well, but as far as the gallon hot water heater in there, and they say you cannot remove it; it, it won't fit through the op- through the stair opening to get the old one out, much less get the new a new one up there. Yeah, uh, and they, they very well could be right that you're not getting a fifty gallon out. Uh, you may have to have it, you know, crushed or something up there in order to get okay. it down. Um, as far as the uh, the staircases, yes, the, you know, if, if you ever looked at one, um, they make them where there's like a inch and a half gap on each side of them, and so yeah. you can get bigger ones where there's less gap, and that does create a little bit bigger opening then for you to get stuff up and down. Well, I noticed that some of the the ladder manufacturers, Werner and so forth, are getting into that business or have been into that business and i wonder if their designs you know would allow additional room and so forth you you just you order them to the side i mean you get them to the size that you want so what i would recommend is pull the staircase down and go up and measure you know if you got a 16 inch on centers 20 or 24 inch on center uh opening and then you get the staircase to match it and the absolute okay. worst thing you have to do uh, would be to to box it and cut through one of the ceiling joists. And, you know, unless you're in the right spot, you don't want to do that. But in some cases, you can get away with that as well. Well, we, we put a much bigger one in our, in our older home and had no problem. It was in the garage. But this one is stuffed in the laundry room, so we're a little bit limited on width. Yeah. But, yep. Um, I see what you're saying. I appreciate your help, and we'll uh, we'll see what's available out there. I'll get everything measured up. Okay. 
Good luck with that, Doyle. Mike, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, uh, I'm building a kind of a camp in 100 acres we have and uh, up against the National Forest. Okay. We use foam for insulation. He just got off that. But my question is about uh, we're putting in a patio, you know, like a 20-foot, 20 25-foot diameter with a kind of half-inch backing and then about 60, 70-foot um, walkway to it. Uh-huh. And my question is, stamp concrete, stamp concrete versus tile, stone, uh, to make it look, you know, kind of a hunting kind of type deal or some type of epoxy seal? What's, what's just the better one, stamp versus stone or tile? Or? Well, I, I will tell you, at, at uh, our deer lease, uh, we used brick, actually, and made a brick walkway. Uh, but we happen to have a bunch of brick there to, to do it with, and... Um, if you're gonna pour concrete, the stamped concrete would actually look better than going with regular concrete, and would be far less expensive than doing uh, stone, unless you're gonna put it in yourself. Oh, no, I'm not putting it in myself. I just, um, I'd say it's not a high end, but um, for reliability, where I don't have to mess with it. Is stamp versus the stone. You know, I mean, does the stone come apart every once in a while, or well, if it gets abused? Or? Yeah, the only thing and that'll happen I'll, with I'll too. the I'll only thing that'll concrete. happen with the stone is you got to pour concrete first and then put the stone on it. Uh, so you're going through the same process, anyways. And whether it's stamped concrete or the the stone, you're going to have four inch of concrete. Okay. And so that's that's reason I'm thinking that the stamps would probably be the better way to go. Okay, for um, so you're saying four inches is plenty, it's not a six inch with rebar. Oh no no no! Your driveway at your house is only four inches. Oh, okay okay, and we're gonna do the garage. It's kind of a big garage that you hope to have some type of exotic cars in. It. That we're going to use either epoxy or that Perlex or something like that uh -huh. to coat over the concrete. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that. I can't say the word right. Perlex or something like that. It, it seals the concrete. Yeah, it's a superior product to the epoxy. It, it doesn't peel like the epoxy does. So it is, that is true then. I'm, yeah, I'm, I do, it does. Part. Yeah, it does bond better with the concrete than the epoxy does. Uh, and it, it gives you a nice smooth finish for keeping it clean as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I just, you know, you listen to some of these salespeople and you want to believe them. But yeah. I, now, I don't know if it's more expensive or not. I've never looked into that. But, uh, yeah, I've talked with yeah. uh, people who do it for a living, and, and they say, yes, it does do a better job. It is more expensive. Mm, yeah. Anyway. Well, usually anything you get that's better is. <laughs> that's true. I replaced two of my toilets with bottom of the line ones from the big box stores. They work, but just barely. I want to replace the one I use. I need to it to clean the sides and have a larger bowl. Do I need to go? out of state to get a toilet that really flushes like I'm used to.
And, you know, basically the answer is, you know, we are on low flow toilets, but you're not going to get a high flow out of state any longer either. Um, so we, we went through the answer as far as why go to a plumbing supply store versus a box store and stuff. So the, I got a response back and it was hilarious, I thought. So I thought I'd share it with you. He says, thanks for your response. The problem is that the toilets have about a five-inch diameter bowl full of water. Anything that misses the small bowl of water gets stuck to the side and will not get into the bowl to flush. There's very little water that rinses the sides. For instance, if someone drops toilet paper and it gets stuck to the side, it'll stay there until I come back with my marksman skills and knocks them down. That doesn't even touch on the person that doesn't sit dead center on the seat and drops a bomb. You can imagine the result. So this comes from Jim. And Okay, first I would tell you, get an elongated bowl. They actually do hold more water, but a lot of people don't realize there is a way to add more water to the bowl. Very little amount, but you can add a little bit more, but it also then increases the flush. Your, your tank has a fill tube in it and there's a water tube that fills and you can set it where it fills into that fill tube or into the tank itself the tank has actually two water supplies going into it one is that little hose i'm talking about the other is from the fill port itself well that little hose actually is designed to go into that overflow tube and if you'll stick it in there and usually there's a little clip to hold it in there it adds water to the bowl the secondary thing to do then is set your float switch to where it takes water all the way up to just below the top of the overfill tube and that'll serve two purposes one it leaves the water run longer so that you're getting more water into the bowl through that overflow tube. But secondary, when you flush, there's more water in the tank to come out and clean the bowl and flush it out. And actually, by making that adjustment, you may take care of your problem where you don't have to change out the toilet right now. Uh, so, yeah, anytime you have one that seems like you're just not getting enough flush to clean everything and stuff, lift up the tank and look at where the water level is inside the tank or you know take the lid off of the tank and look inside of it and see if you need to make some adjustments to that water level and that can make all the difference in the world for you hope that helps you out jim after hail damage i need to replace composition shingles i think i have a couple of layers of felt would you recommend removing all underlayment down to the deck absolutely uh, don't don't keep any of the the old felt and stuff on there. It's full of holes and stuff, anyways. Uh, but you want to take everything down, get down to where the deck can be checked to make sure it doesn't have any issues, soft spots, rot, anything like that. Then you put a new felt down and new shingles, and that helps for the shingles to last longer as well when you do it that way. So yes, absolutely, strip it down. Andrew, welcome to KRLD. Uh, thank you. I've got a, a fairly silly question. I'm building a 12 by 16 uh, storage building on a slab that's already poured. Uh -huh. uh, and my son and I, who are going to put the walls up 
once this silly rain stops. Uh, we've gotten into a discussion about, in my application, I need to have perfectly square walls. And when you watch YouTube, you see some people frame and uh, side with the plywood or OSB while it's still laying down and then raise it all as one piece. And then no. you see some no. that uh, do the frame, raise it, and then side afterwards. Do the frame, raise it, and then side. Okay. That's that's all I had to ask you. Yeah, because that, that gives you the ability to square it up much. It, well, once you put the plywood, you can't you can't move it or square it any longer. Right. You're assuming the uh, concrete is perfectly level. So. Well, no. Uh, you you can shim it the uh, the your your uh, sill plate. So you build the wall mm. first. You tip it up, and if you need to shim it up a little bit in order to make it flat and everything, you know, going across ways. Uh, you can do that. So one side could be just a two by four sill plate. The other side could be a two by four with a one by four under it, right? Uh, in order okay. to make it level. But uh, where we're putting the plywood on will mess you up is trying to tip the walls one way or the other in order to square them up with the the other walls. Uh, right. You just can't move them once they got plywood on them. Okay. Well, that'll save me a lot of time. Then I, I appreciate your help. You bet. Take care. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.